Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. Are you curious about the latest cocktail trends? The cocktail scene or discovering local ingredients in the area of Charlotte, North Carolina? My guest today will cover all of these and more. Bob Peters won numerous awards in mixology, and he is one of Charlotte's most influential mixologists. Welcome to episode 62 of my podcast, Flavors Unknown. I am your host, Emmanuel Laroche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I interview trending chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists around the country. If you are new to this podcast, my guest last week was Head Cider Master Ryan Burke from Angry Orchard. And we talk about how hard cider is made, what makes it unique, and creative ways how you can drink, pair, and cook with ciders. You can find everything about the episodes of the Flavors Unknown podcast at flavorsunknown.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Flavors Unknown. We are always striving to improve the podcast Flavors Unknown, and we want your opinion. We are running a survey until February 12th, when we will have a raffle for three people to win a $75 Amazon gift card. To participate, you need to, one, listen to the podcast Flavors Unknown, two, complete the entire survey, and three, live in the US. Thank you in advance for your input. The link to the survey is bit.ly slash Flavors Unknown Survey 1. This is the digit one. Again, the link is bit.ly slash flavors unknown survey one. You can find as well the link on the show notes of this episode on flavorsunknown.com. Click on the green banner that says your opinion matters. Thank you. And now here is my conversation with Bob Peters. Hey, hi, Bob. Welcome to uh, the show Flavors Unknown. Hey, how are you doing? So good to so good to be on your show. Thank you so much. I'm truly honored to be here. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you as well. Your name is uh, well known in the world of bartending and mixology, so I'm I'm really pleased to have you on the show today. Thank you. It's uh, I'm so excited to chat with you. This is great. Thank you so much. Of course, the first question that I want to ask you with these crazy times that we are living in. How are you doing with uh, the whole situation with the pandemic? Well, thank you for asking. I'm doing about as good as can be expected. I mean, this has been, the pandemic has been so hard on our industry. I mean, it's just torn people apart and, you know, it's really hard on all the families, you know, with one or two people in in the relationship, you know, working in a restaurant, you know, uh, especially if there's kids involved, somebody has to stay home. Childcare is is one of the biggest problems I'm finding right now inside of the restaurant industry because, you know, a lot of people, childcare professionals don't want to look after a child of a restaurant industry professional because they oh, wow. think that, you know, that the 
that our exposure then is going to be passed on to the children and then they're going to be around the children. So, oh, that's um, crazy. It is. Uh, it's been a huge challenge and a huge hit and something that was um, that, you know, when this whole thing started, you couldn't foresee that because when you think, you know, you're going to get back to work, even if you've got to wear a mask or there's extra safety precautions, you don't think about the lack of child care. You know, that just wasn't wasn't on the radar. That has been a huge challenge for everybody in the restaurant industry, especially I can speak especially for the Charlotte, North Carolina area where I live and work. But me personally, I've been, you know, trying my best to stay busy. We did a a couple months worth of a shutdown here in Charlotte. And then I was actually for a consulting job. I was opening up a restaurant that was supposed to open up on March 17th, which was the day that the, you know, United States basically shut down. So literally the day, (laughs) the day that we were supposed to open this new restaurant, we had to pack everything up and give away a huge food order and, you know, sort of uh, furlough everybody. But it was crazy. That part was absolutely insane. And then then we had to rebuild the staff, you know, because other people had to had to go. They had to leave, you know, and try to do other things in order to stay afloat, which I can't blame anybody for. You know, we all have to make a living. We got back open right around the beginning of June, uh, this little neighborhood place, which is really beautiful and great called The Grinning Mule. And so that has been a great project on top of some of the other stuff that I've been doing. And I've been doing a lot of virtual classes. So did you turn your garage into um, into a bar? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you saw that. So my wife, yeah. um, after a couple, like after about a week of me milling around the house and doing, you know, I was a absolute uh she said said to you go to the garage now uh, yeah she banished me (laughs) to the garage (laughs) because i was such a pain in her butt so then i cleaned up the garage and then i was like you know we we both had sort of the the forethought the the understanding pretty quickly that this was going to last longer than the two weeks that they promised us up front you know that it was going to last so i started contacting some of my friends who are in the TV business and things like that and asking them how to do like TV lighting, but on a shoestring budget. And so I figured out a couple of hacks uh, basically on how to do solid like lighting systems. But, you know, I had another buddy of mine build me a uh, really small bar for, for demos. And then I organized all my booze, which was on the list to do anyway. And so all of this stuff took several weeks to do, you know, little by little. So now I can basically go in my garage and turn on the lights and it's studio ready. I can record with my iPhone and do Zoom classes or WebEx or whatever. And it's been going really, really well. And it's helped helped me and my family out a lot. That's good. And then yeah. you can prepare cocktail for, for your wife and then bring it back <laughs> yeah. to her. <laughs> she, uh, she, I can go hide out there if I'm in trouble, which is funny. And uh, we had actually, we had my mother come live with us for a little while, which was absolutely hilarious. She is a super funny lady and she is a very seasoned, very experienced drinker. She would come and when we would sneak out to the garage bar and I would make cocktails, uh, which was super hilarious. And she is, uh, she's 82 years old and one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. That was a, a welcome, a welcome retreat from the pandemic was my my mother and cocktails <laughs> okay so you have done we have done you have done videos with her then yeah we i we thought about 
doing a video series and if I can ever get her to say she likes the way her hair looks, then we'll do another one. <laughs> I swear I'm not that's kidding. That's so funny. It's so funny. Like I've got to get her in the right hair day, and that sometimes that's difficult. So she's hey, a, know, she's a tough lady. So you said that uh, you know the uh, the grinding mule is uh, was um, you know finally you know launched in in June. So can you describe a little bit to us what's the drink menu at uh, at the restaurant? Absolutely. So our concept for the grinding mule was to do simple, affordable yet elevated food and drinks. For the cocktail menu, we kicked around some of uh, some ideas and some recipes and we realized that if we were able to keep things with a uh, within reason then we could do all of our cocktails no matter what they were for $11. So we did we have sort of deemed ourselves the home of the $11 cocktail. And so we've got everything from a house mule so like our version of a of a Moscow mule which is Tito's vodka, fresh lime and then we make a homemade blueberry honey syrup. And then use uh, ginger kombucha that's locally made and organic from here in Charlotte. And it is, it's delicious. And so we can do anything from our, our signature drink, which is called the Grinning Mule, to a Woodford Manhattan, which is $11 also. So, and, and everything in between. And we've changed it up. We did sort of a warm weather menu where drinks were a little bit more refreshing. And so as the temperature here in Charlotte has cooled down, Finally, we have sort of switched to a cooler weather menu. So we call this like our winter fall menu. And so I've done a different kind of mule and then everything has gotten a little bit darker and a little bit more bitter and a little bit more stirred, you know, but really delicious stuff. And, and again, all 11 bucks. So wh when you approach like the, your cocktail, are you thinking about like an overarching flavors or a theme and then you're building the details with the ingredients? Or you're starting from the ingredients and you are building the, uh, the flavors, you know, one at a time. Typically, I come up with flavor combinations. So, for instance, for one of um, one of the cocktails, I had an idea to do something to do a uh, salted maple pear. Okay, so that was the concept that I came up with. And I thought that that sounded beautiful and very much fall and winter. The ingredients, no problem. You know, we get some nice maple syrup. Salt, you know, of course, no problem. And then some, some nice pear juice. So that part is okay. And so now I've got to figure out what spirit to work with that, what spirit to go with that. So I always like doing things that are a little bit unexpected, but very intentional. And so I went with a, uh, went with a local gin. Um, I love my local North Carolina product. I'm very proud of what North Carolina has done with their craft distilleries. And so I love to feature them as much as possible. So I went with a Cardinal gin, which is, out of a small town that's like maybe 30 minutes away from where I'm at. Not very far, but uh, it's this really beautiful gin and it's got these beautiful notes of like clove and spearmint and there's some like frankincense in there and like apricot seed and all these like beautiful uh, flavor notes. And so I was like, that is going to be so insanely delicious with this salted maple pear concept. So I chose the cardinal gin and then maple syrup. I mixed up some pretty mild saline or salt water. And then I've got pear juice and that's it. And so it all came together quite beautifully. And 
you know, you, of course, you've got to sort of play around with the ratios to make sure that it's not too sweet or too salty or too too gin forward or any of that stuff. But uh, it came out really, really beautifully, and it's definitely one of our better sellers. That sounds great. So, so where do you uh, turn to uh, for inspiration when you want to create something new? A lot of it is the seasons and what we can get uh, that's fresh. So, you know, there are some exceptions with that, like uh, citrus, you know, you've got to go go outside of uh, the state of North Carolina to get good citrus. Other than that, I pears are in season, you know, right now. So that's uh, it's fun to use use pears. And I think that if, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about eating with the seasons, you can drink with the seasons, too. And so not only that, but, you know, as the temperature grows, gets a little bit cooler, you know, a little bit by little bit, like, what do you want to be drinking? I wanted to do something simple, but also I wanted to provide a warm drink because we do have a patio. And so, you know, especially in these times where outdoor seating and eating is important, I wanted to have something to warm people up in case they just wanted to sit outside. So I I did a very simple but really beautiful homemade hot chocolate. And then you can choose whatever booze you want to put in there and we'll put it in there for you and Throw a couple marshmallows on top and toast it up. It's a beautiful cocktail, and I love it with bourbon. But if you want rum in it, then you can have rum or tequila or mezcal. You know, I don't necessarily suggest uh, gin with chocolate or vodka for that matter. But, you know, if that's what you want, you know, so be it. So we call that uh, your choose-your-own-adventure hot chocolate. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then uh, when the, the spring comes, uh, uh, are you working with um, blossoms and edible flowers? And I think you have done some cocktails with that. Those Absolutely. Things, right? I love, love, love edible flowers. Uh, I think that, you know, Mother Nature has the most beautiful things in the world. If we can showcase that stuff with, you know, maybe a pop of a garnish, then, then that's prettier than anything I can make, you know? Okay. And it's simple and elegant and uh, beautiful. And I think things that are simple a lot of times are elegant. And I love elegance. And I think elegance is beauty. That to me is 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 a is pretty close to a perfect garnish. Uh, you know, a, a beautiful little flower in the spring. I think is is pretty perfect. Are you making um, you know specific like syrups with uh, you know blossoms? Do you have any examples, or do you remember any from maybe the last? Uh You know, the last spring? Yeah, actually. Uh, so in North Carolina, there is there is a flower that grows in sort of a micro season. And it's something that sort of just appears like on the side of the road. Sometimes you can see it when you're driving down the highway or in clumps. And it's actually kind of a weed. It's kind of a weed. And so this sort of this weed grows on big trees and we have plenty of those here. And so then you'll find these clusters of these beautiful purple flowers that are sort of attaching themselves to these big, beautiful trees in the canopy. And it's called wisteria. If you can get a handful of them, they have the most beautiful, absolute stunning, but still sort of mild aroma to them. It's a purple flower. And so it has almost like a grape grape or a, like almost like a grape Kool-Aid smell to it. And I know that sounds crazy, but they smell like, you know, artificial grapes. And it is absolutely beautiful. And if you take those in enough volume, you know, you got to grab a couple of couple of handfuls to a, a bunch of them. And then you throw that in a pot and you make, make sort of a wisteria tea, then you can add sugar to it. 
And all of a sudden, now you have a wisteria simple syrup. And it is so delicious just with something simple like, you know, a nice mild gin or vodka or, you know, a Blanco tequila, something that is on the milder side of the spirits range uh, because this is such a delicate flavor. Just with like a little bit of lemon juice and a wisteria syrup and the spirit, sort of your choice then. Um, it's it's an incredible drink. Like it's so beautiful and so delicate and so spring that it's wonderful. Maybe with a sparkling white wine as well. Could be, Ooh, uh, yeah. be interesting. Absolutely. Do you get inspiration as well from the culinary world? Absolutely. A hundred percent. hundred percent. I think that, that a lot of times that the culinary world leads the, um, the bartending mixology sort of world. And so the trends that they start uh, are followed up and techniques that they create are followed and then developed into things that uh, we can do on the liquid side of things. Can you give us an example? I was just watching this morning. I love watching amazing culinary shows, cooking shows. And so I was watching Chef Table today, and it was, uh, it was on uh, Albert Ferran, uh, or not Albert Ferran, uh, Albert Adria. Fran Algeria's brother, who worked with him at El Bouilly, and he was the guy that created spherification, the technique spherification, which is now uh, started off in the culinary world at the best restaurant in the world, El Bouilly, with a uh, olive preparation, and that has turned into something in the culinary, or excuse me, in the liquid bartending world, is something that's that has actually has been done quite a bit, where you can do spherification on cocktails where you can you know bite into like uh something that looks like a grape and then all of a sudden there's a gin and tonic inside you know or countless possibilities you know but that definitely is something uh that i think is is really interesting as uh techniques that have been developed in the the culinary world and changed into the bartending world but that that actually is a pretty good example yeah very good so what drew you to mixology Bartending was something that I sort of fell into. I was at my favorite dive bar as a pretty young guy. I was probably 21, and my brother introduced me to his favorite bar, and he's, he's a little older than I am. And so I was sitting there one afternoon, and it was, I, I was the only one in there. It was, it was, a, it was a total dump, but <laughs> it was, it's my kind of place. You know, I love that. I was sitting there, and the owner was sitting over talking to at the end of the bar he was talking to uh, another employee that was off work and he was having a beer and it was probably about 5 five thirty in the evening and they were talking about how they didn't have anybody to work a couple of shifts a week when so-and-so quit mm-hmm. and that they were like well what are we going to do nobody wants to work here this place is a dump and i was <laughs> like uh i don't mean to be eavesdropping guys but you know i'll do it <laughs> what about and me? they were like what about- <laughs> <laughs> they were like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. That was sort of how I fell into it. And then uh, I kind of uh, accidentally fell in love with it and uh, have been doing it for the past, uh, well, over 20 years now. It was sort of a happy accident. And, you know, I've, I've fallen in love with, fell in love with high volume. I love watching people throw bottles around and you know, I thought that was amazing. And I loved dive bars. Dive bars are just such an um, amazing animal that are that is so different than everything else. And then I started getting into cocktails, you know, and how 
how you can, you know, create an experience with a cocktail that uh, is so different than just having, you know, drinks or beers, you know, which is so that's uh, way different, you know. And so that is really what hooked me. And so I sort of went down the rabbit hole with cocktails and just haven't, I've never been able to get out of it. <laughs> I've been still stuck down here. So how would you describe the, the Charlotte uh, cocktail scene? I think that we have some great diversity and we've got a ton of really creative people. Now it's, it's great because there's all of a sudden a lot of people that are interested in doing elevated cocktails and creating experiences. And sort of when this whole thing started here in Charlotte, there was a, a couple of my buddies and I were doing it and that was about it. And so it was kind of the odd thing, you know, to have people saying, well, you know, we don't have Red Bull, you know, we, we don't have Jack Daniels, you know, we don't have this or that or Bud Light. And they were like, what do you, what, what do you mean you don't have Red Bull? What, what do you mean? And it's like, well, that's not that kind of place, you know, like that's, we're just, we're trying to do something different. And they're like, well, what are you trying to do? You know? And so it was this really interesting sort of a uh, give and take of different things that were, that were happening and, and trying to create a new experience and something that nobody else was doing. So that was, that was, uh, it was a really interesting time. And, and I thought it was, was pretty amazing. That was probably 10 years ago. So now when you go into a restaurant here in Charlotte, People expect you, you know, at a nice restaurant to have a good cocktail list and to be doing things that are interesting and to have an elevated uh, list and some nice booze, you know, and things like that. So it has changed quite a bit and I, I see it continuing to change in a really good way from this point on for sure. So you're talking about the fact that you are using a lot of local ingredients and obviously you are a man, you know, from the South. So if there's any specific Southern ingredients that you are uh, leveraging in your cocktail recipes? I will tell you that one of my favorite Southern ingredients is sorghum. Yeah, I think, sure. uh, I think it's a, you know, sorghum is like a sort of a, a why it can be a wild growing kind of grain where you can get, uh, get a sap out of it that's similar to, to molasses. In fact, it's called like the molasses of the South. It's really interesting. It's not quite as, it's not sweet, quite as sweet as like maple. Uh, and it might have a little bit more texture to it than like a bit more gritty texture than molasses does. But it's really quite beautiful. It's very, very Southern. And, you know, well, you know, famous Southern dish, of course, is biscuits. You know, biscuits are so famously Southern. And so, and I enjoy biscuits probably way more than I should. <laughs> uh, but just something simple like a beautiful biscuit that's hot out of the oven with a big slab of butter on it and sorghum is one of the, the most simple joys in life, you know. And things, simple things like that, I think, can translate to, to the cocktail world as well. And it can be... You know, again, simple uh, simplicity, I think, is beautiful and it's elegant. And I love that. So I think that all cocktails don't have to be super complicated in, in order to be super delicious. So what ingredients are irreplaceable uh, to you in cocktail and why? Ooh, obviously you have to have good citrus around almost all of the time. I would say an Amaro of some sorts, if not uh, an arrangement of Amaros, because I think that 
a little bit of an Amaro or uh, some kind of bitter bittering agent will give so much depth to, to cocktails. And if you use it right, things that it doesn't have to turn out bitter or like, you know, too fernetti, if you want to call it that, or too heavy on, on that side. If you use it the right way, sort of sparingly with a, a light hand, I think that definitely Amaro's are, are a, uh, mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. huge thing that uh, I would have a hard time without. And then, you know, like just good booze in general, you know, like I said, okay. I mentioned Cardinal Gin earlier, which is, which is amazing, you know. I think life would be hard to go through without a good bourbon, good mezcal, yeah. good tequila. I agree. Uh, that would be yep. that would be pretty tragic. Good cognac. Cognac is one of my favorite ingredients. Absolutely. So uh, all those things, I, I I would find a hard time to to get by with. Okay. What unique and or unfamiliar ingredients are you uh, using in your cocktail? And something which is like really um, you know different. I have a relationship with a company called Ripples, where I've done some some research for them, and and so they have this beautiful company that's based around family and love and trust, and and I, that's uh, all the things that I believe in and try how how I try to live my life as well. So I have this great relationship with Ripples, and so they basically have this piece of technology that can print images on top of micro foam cocktails, so like egg white cocktails or Guinness foam or any, any micro bubble they can print on top of. And so it's just absolutely opened up my uh, creative side to do really fun, out, outrageous, unusual things. And so that, you know, you can just do an egg white cocktail or an aquafaba cocktail, which I think is, is interesting to use chickpea water. I think that's super cool, but you can also make, a foam and an ISI canister out of one or both of those ingredients, you know, and then use that. So I think that uh, it lends itself to a whole nother level of creativity when you introduce a foam as an ingredient by itself. That I think on top of the cocktail is super interesting and really odd, sophisticated at some point. Sure. So you can put uh, words so that I think, uh, you know, you can do some, uh, you know, extra marketing, I guess. And then on the other end, you can, you can you put as well some uh, pictures like, sure. uh, you know, on, on it. Okay, cool. Absolutely. So I did uh, the one that I did uh, recently that I was, I was really happy with how it turned out is I printed a picture of a Banksy print on. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the artist Banksy. He's sort of this gorilla artist, an urban gorilla artist who would sneak into different parts of the city and then sort of stencil these images onto onto walls. And he's uh, he's done it actually in lots of different places all over the world. And I think uh, somewhere in the Middle East, he did he did a stencil of a protester that looks like they were getting ready to throw like something like a Molotov cocktail, and they had it like a bandana over his face. But instead of throwing a Molotov cocktail. He was throwing a bouquet of flowers, which I think is such a powerful, beautiful image and such a great statement to make, you know, as far as fighting our battles with love as opposed to with violence, I think is a great thing to sort of bring into our vernacular and to our thoughts and to and then bring into action. But so what I did is I put an actual flower over his bouquet. And so it was a multi-dimensional sort of presentation that was really, really interesting. And I love how it turned out. 
what are for you like the three uh, essential principles that you stand by when you develop like a, a bar program and or if you are, you know, coaching someone to develop like a, a bar program? I would say balance in your cocktails. Everything has to be uh, as close to perfectly balanced in your cocktails as possible. I think that one of the huge things to me is to listen to your guest because sometimes people will just tell you things that don't necessarily, they don't really mean what they say. But if you listen, like if you really, really listen, then you'll hear what they're trying to tell you, even if they're giving you different words for it. That to me is very important. And a part of that is asking questions. You know, if you, if, if so they give you kind of a conflicting sort of statement, then you need to ask questions in order to make sure that you understand what they're actually really saying so that you can give them something that they enjoy. So asking questions is huge. The last one is it would just be as simple as like caring, you know, like really caring about, you know, your final product and making sure that you are giving your guests like the best version of the cocktail or the service or of you that you possibly can because you care, you know. If you don't care, then I can't do anything with you. You know, it's just not, it's not going to be that good if you don't care that much. But how do you keep like uh, your cocktail menu approachable for the clients and patron while you're, you are maintain like a, a creative aspect, you know, which is really, um, you know, the essence of what, you know, Mixology is? A lot of it is developing, developing a relationship with your guests. So at first, like if you're starting a new program, if it's a new restaurant or a new bar, then I think that at first, I'm sure some people will disagree with me, but I, I always like to start off sort of simply. And then, you know, the next menu, you can get just a little bit more complicated. And then the menu after that, you can get maybe a little bit more complicated. But during that time, you're building a relationship with your guest. You know, and I say guests is sort of in general your your public, you know, and so little by little they get to trust you more and they allow you to do more stuff for more freely. And so you're also, while they're getting to know you, you're also educating them, you know. And so I have guests, of course, that don't know what um Amaros are all the time, you know. And so then I uh, get this uh, beautiful opportunity to share with them, you know, the knowledge that I have about such a super cool but so different sort of genre of spirits like Amari, you know, and so I love it, you know, and that's, uh, if you, if you walk into all of those interactions with, you know, and this sounds corny, but I really mean this. If, if you walk into all these interactions and, uh, situations with love in your heart, where you're sharing things with people, as opposed to telling them about stuff, then that goes mm -hmm. a really long way. What do you see are the, like the trends of the cocktail world at the moment? I know this is like a crazy time, but... I think that classics aren't going anywhere. I think that ultra creative stuff is only getting more and more interesting to me. I love the movement towards locally sourced ingredients, whether it's spirits or other ingredients. I love that. I think that we will probably see moving forward... Uh, something, a trend that also follows the culinary world, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, and that's sort of healthy options. I would imagine that, that we're going to see a good bit of that in the future. Some organic, uh, an entirely organic menu, I think, would be amazing to see in a cocktail bar. 
And I think that that would be tough to do with the amount of organic spirits that are out there, but I don't think it's impossible. And I think those okay. options are only going to get more and more prevalent as we move forward. So do you think as well, if, you know, thinking about the healthy trend to that we'll continue to see like a, a lower ABV in terms of, term of the cocktails? I think that that is something that's been on people's radar for a long time. And I think that that is good in theory. However, I haven't seen a whole lot of that. You know, like it, it sounds great on paper, but people still love boozy cocktails, you know, <laughs> and the whole reason why they're going out is to sort of escape you know, reality for a little while and let you wait on them and let the, let you make decisions and let, let you whisk them away from their, from their average, you know, moments. So I think that boozy cocktails aren't going anywhere. anywhere. I think that um, maybe low calorie cocktails are going to become even more of a thing. People's understanding about caloric intake and about how sugar works and how bad probably sugar is for your body. I think sugar, you know, is going to become more and more public enemy number one as things move forward. And so I think like ingredients that give you the perception of sweetness that not necessarily are sweet, but give you that perception are going to become more prevalent. And then that will move into the next sort of tier of the healthy, uh, uh, the health era, you know, which, okay. which I, I think is great. Talking about like, um, you know, boozy cocktail, I really love the, uh, you know, the type of like uh, old fashioned or Manhattan. So can you give us an interesting um, approach to like a create or a creative approach to um, what an amateur bartender at home can could prepare unique and maybe with, uh, you know, a type of your signature, you know, on the Manhattan cocktail or old fashioned? Absolutely. So one of my favorite, favorite cocktails, and I get this a lot from, from my guests when I make this for them, when, when I know that they want sort of a boozy Manhattan-ish kind of thing, is I, I play just a little tiny, tiny trick on them, and I give them something related to a Negroni. But a bourbon Negroni, as we all know, one of my favorite all-time cocktails is the Boulevardier. And I love the story of a, you know, a bourbon Negroni and how that turns into a Boulevardier. Well, when one of my favorite things to do is, is to substitute out Campari for Chinar, you know, which is a, a cousin of, of Campari. And then it gets, it gets, I think, a little bit more bitter, a little bit less sweet, and then very herbal, you know, and not quite as fruity uh, as the Campari lends itself to be. I love making people who enjoy Manhattans, you know, I love making them a Chinar Boulevardier, which in my build, it goes like two ounces of a really good, strong, strong flavored bourbon. It doesn't necessarily have to be a hundred proof, but I love a good, strong backbone bourbon with big shoulders that you can put flavors on that it really uh, still stands out like a bourbon. Woodford Double Oak is one of my favorites to build a, uh, a Chinar Boulevardier with. And so that uh, I do two ounces of that and then like three quarters of an ounce of Chinar and a half ounce of some really nice vermouth uh, and then stir it and express an orange rind over it. And, and it is so simple and so delicious and so boozy <laughs> and bitter <laughs> and lovely. And, I, and that's one of my all-time favorite cool. cocktails for sure. Very cool. So thank you.
I'm going to uh, finish the um, the interview now with like a series of uh, like quick, like rapid fire questions. Okay. So if it's okay with you. So are you uh, tequila or mezcal? Mezcal. Right mezcal. now. Right now. <laughs> yeah, right now. <laughs> right. I understand. Yeah, before, <laughs> uh, but I went through a huge tequila phase, but right now I'm definitely on the mezcal. Okay. Straight up or on the rocks? Straight yeah. up. So if you could pick any combination of the following... A bar, a bartender, and a drink. And it would be from any time in history. What would be your choice? Like, um, you know, like a location, a bar, famous bartender, and, and, and a drink. Ida Coleman, the, at the American bar at the hotel in London where they created the cocktail book. Ida Coleman and I would want to get a hanky-panky from her the person that created the Hanky Panky, which is one of the greatest names in cocktail history and the first ever female rock star bartender. That would be an honor to sit at her bar and to have, have her make that for me. What cocktail do you hate making the most? Dirty Martini. Dirty Martini. Okay. Dirty Martini. <laughs> with blue cheese stuffed olives? <laughs> uh, with anything. I, I, with loathe, anything. I, I loathe a dirty martini. And I know people are going to hate on me for that, but I just think that it tastes like ocean water uh and i don't i don't think it's i don't think it's interesting uh, i think it's just salty i think that you can do better just about with any other ingredients in the entire world and i i'm sorry that's just that's just my terrible opinion i'm sorry sure no that's fine yeah and but, so on the opposite way but my wife loves them and so uh, 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 you know i have to oh, eat my words man. every time she tells me to fix her one day you're in trouble you're in trouble <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh <my laughs> you're going to end up in a garage yeah, again absolutely so, <laughs> on the opposite what's your favorite drink to make something that i've really enjoyed lately making and one of my all-time favorite cocktails is uh, a simple yet perfectly balanced paloma i love palomas and i i always try to talk people out of uh out of drinking a margarita and and try to switch them into um drinking a paloma and typically it works and they like it better yeah, and grapefruits is trendy at the moment yeah definitely oh, yeah so delicious <laughs> and finally do you have like three books that have inspired you during your career dale de uh any book by dale sure. de any book yep. by tony abu Ghanim, and then trying to think i mean you know you could pick one of any of the the earliest cocktail books to look through i think those are all you know pretty amazing you've got to do i love having to have some research uh oh um how about um david wanderich uh i love um i love the history of punch his book about punch i thought was uh was pretty close to to life changing but i did run a bar where where we made a ton of punch. It was called the punch room. So, I mean, that, you know, that okay. sort of fits there. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Bob. I really appreciate uh, your time and uh, being on the show. I really absolutely. Thank you. thank you so much for having me. And I had an absolute blast. And I hope that I did well enough to get invited back again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I hope that's uh, when the pandemic is over, I can come back to Charlotte and, um, you know, have a drink with you. Absolutely. And you can come hang out with me in the garage bar. <laughs> Absolutely. And your mom. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And my mom. Yeah. <laughs> and, and my wife will make her dirty martinis. Absolutely. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. 
Thank you for listening to my conversation with mixologist Bob Peters from Charlotte. I have to say that a boozy hot chocolate sounds really appealing during these winter cold months. Maybe we should do all like Bob and turn our garage into a man cave and install a private bar. And I just ordered some sorghum syrup to try with my cocktail over the weekend. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or a colleague. And subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please check the show notes on the website flavorsunknown.com. Next week, my guest will be Elizabeth Faulkner, who is a chef, a pastry chef, who has opened various restaurants, who has participated to many cooking competitions as a contestant or as a judge. She has been a James Beer finalist, wrote several cookbooks, and she is now as well a consultant for the industry. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. You've just enjoyed another delicious episode of Flavors Unknown. Hungry for more? Hit subscribe. Tell us where you're listening from by leaving a review. And for social media and show notes, head to flavorsunknown.com.